We're going to talk, we're starting a, a series tonight on holy contradictions. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at what is wise is foolish and what is foolish is wise. Uh, we're going to be looking at the times when the Bible flips things on their heads, when it reverses the normal way we think about things. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at uh, whoever loses his life will keep it, and whoever keeps his life will lose it. That's in Matthew 6. Strength perfected in weakness. That's in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, talking about Paul. Uh, we're going to look at the last will be first, and the first will be last. And then we're going to look at who is humble. Will, he who is humble will be exalted. Uh, that's out of James. Now, these all stem from the same, con- stem from the same concept. Uh, first, I have 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. It's actually going to be 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, the first part of chapter 2. God does not want us to get comfortable with the way the world thinks. This is the core idea. And, and really, in all of these things, God does not want you to think like the world does. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want it. And, and really, the entire system, I was going to say the entire system of Christianity, but even from before that, classic example of this is uh, pre-Israelite kings, when the Israelites look around and they see all the nations of the, of, that are around them, and they see all the other nations have kings, and, and God's like, no, I'm your king. You don't need to have this other thing that the world has, right? And, and even Israel struggled with this. We struggle with this too. We get into letting the world define how things should be, and we do this in a lot of ways, some of these that we'll talk about during the series, but really God wants us to not think that way, to not be defined by how the world thinks. Uh, so the main text is 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Uh, we're going to read a lot of this. So I think we're going to read, like, uh, there are going to be six slides of reading. As we read, here's the things you need to be thinking about. One, what does the world consider to be wise? And Paul's going to talk about that, what, what the world thinks is wise. Uh, what does God consider to be wise? And what did God do to flip the foolishness and wisdom from the way the world considers it? Because that's what he's going to do in this text. He's, Paul is talking about, okay, there's the world, the way the world thinks about wisdom and folly. There's the way that God thinks about wisdom and folly. And God has made an intentional, conscious decision to order things in such a way so that the way the world thinks is the opposite of what's true. That what the world thinks is wise is actually foolish, and what God thinks is, or what the world thinks is foolish is actually wise. And, and as we read this, these are the things I want you to think about. And we'll come and talk to them, we'll talk about them after we read it. Uh, and then finally, why did God do this? Several things in this text that we're going to read, it's like 30 verses maybe, 20 verses, talk about why, why he did that, why it was so important that he do that, and why he made that decision, uh, which we'll, again, we'll talk about as we uh, conclude. So let's read the text. There's going to be quite a bit of reading. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, has cho uh, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, we'll come back to that phrase because it's very interesting, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling, much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught in human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to ju be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Next, and, and the reason we read it all at once, I thought about breaking it up, but really, it's and, and this is a classic example of the chapter breaks that I don't like. This is a, another example of a chapter break that your Bible could do without. Because as you read the flow of this text, it's very clearly one discussion, right? He's taught, he doesn't change ideas in chapter 2, but he is, is one... Re and really, you could go all the way back... We don't have time to do this, but you could go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 1 and then to the end of chapter 3, because that's really the, dis the discussion. And he begins, of course, talking about the divisions that were in the church... And why was that so bad? Because the divisions in the church were from this human wisdom, the thing that the world considers to be wise. And so he gets into this discussion about the wisdom and the foolishness. So the contradiction, what is foolish is wise and what is wise is foolish, as we think about two different competing sets of ideals, what the world cares about and what God cares about. Now, the questions that we asked, what does the world consider to be wise? I think as we read through this text, we see a number of things. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Now, 
Paul, one of the reasons that Paul was, I think, uniquely, I don't know if uniquely is the right word, one of the things that made Paul different from the other apostles is the travels, right? He went all over the Mediterranean world. For the most part, a lot of the apostles that we know about in Acts just sort of stayed around in Jerusalem. So he, in this text, and it's really Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this sort of grouping together, writing this letter, they have a wide spectrum. They're going to be talking about the Jewish people, what they consider to be wise, and what the Greek people consider to be wise. The wise, the scribes, the educated people who literally, in this sense, the people who know how to write, because not everybody knew how to write, right? So even that was one of the things that was uh, a sign of education, was you knew how to write, and most people didn't. The debater of this age. Uh, Paul goes to a number of different cities in the Mediterranean world where the academic people, the intellectual people, uh, one of the, the key features of the Greco-Roman world was the idea of the debate, that you would debate to try to figure out what's true and what's not, and there would be public debates and there would be private debates, and the, the intellectual learned people, they were the debaters, the ones who would try to uh, establish either a following or establish a new set of truths by their intellectual understanding and debating prowess. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews were looking for what? The signs of the coming kingdom, and especially an earthly kingdom, right? That's what they wanted, which is why Jesus was, and we'll get to this in a minute, a stumbling block for the Jews because he came and gave them the signs that they did not expect, the signs that they were looking for for a physical earthly Messiah to come and lead them into, uh, lead them out of Roman occupation, and he comes and gives them signs, but it's not what they expected to be, and so he becomes a stumbling block for the Jews because they were seeking earthly wisdom, the wisdom that would say, my kingdom, God's kingdom should be an earthly kingdom. The Greeks, they seek wisdom. And again, this idea of their philosophies and their sciences, uh, a lot of different elements of their academia that came from the Greek world, uh, the Romans sort of co-opted it when they, over, uh, when they conquered the Greek world. Really, it started with the Greeks, uh, specifically the Greeks, although Greek here is, could be applied, I think, generally to a non-Jew person. For to consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And he sort of groups a couple of things in here together, right? Wise according to worldly standards. We could talk about the debating scribes, the, the learned academic people. But I think also we could talk about the powerful too in this category. If you were powerful, that meant you must be wise because you're in charge, and you're the one who gets to make the decisions, and you're the one who gets to make the rules, and that must make you wise. Or of noble birth, there was a lot of the idea of the aristocracy, right? That you were born into power, born into wealth, so you must have been wiser than all the peasants down there, because I, I, am, the, I am the noble, I am the, the landed gentry, and all you peasants down here, you don't know what you're talking about. Right? That would be an idea, thing that the world considers to be wise, is that by means of your birth, because you were born into a better family, you must have been wiser than all of the common folk. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I often wonder, this is one of the things I'll never know, and I'm sort of sad about it, I really wish there had been audio, audio recording devices in the first century because I would have liked to have heard one of these sermons. If you think about Paul's writings, I, I don't think that anybody would say that they were ineloquent. I don't think that anybody would say the writings of Paul, especially in the New Testament, were simple or 
I mean, they are, they're maybe not lofty, and they are not lofty, but they are well-constructed and well-put-together, and, and, and the arguments are good, and, and all of the different sort of things that people look for in writing. They are masterpieces of writing. So his speech must have been very different than that. And the way that he talked, and he said, he said it before too, uh, that people would complain about his weak speech. His bodily presence is so weak. So he must have not been a strong, charismatic figure. And really where I think we see the impression that we get of Paul as this sort of titan of, of faith is because primarily what we have left is his writing. We didn't know him in person. I think based on a number of different things in the text, if you knew who Paul was personally, you would sort of think, really? This guy? This is the great apostle that, that are going to the Jews and the Gentiles? This guy who's turning the world upside down? Really? This is the guy? He's so frail. He's so, his speech is of no account is what it says in some places. So he clearly had a different way of However it was that he was speaking, it was not in the way that somebody like Apollos would have been speaking. Now, if this is true, we can sort of deduce the opposite, right? What does the world consider to be folly? Uneducated. Uh, if you don't know a lot about the world, if you are not of high standing or noble birth, if you don't have any power, if you're just a commoner, uh, these are the things that the world, I think, would be uh, considering foolishness. If this is what you're going to put your faith in, you're going to put your faith in. And, and he says this. Oh, he doesn't say this. The Pharisees say this in the very early parts of Acts, right? When they call Peter and John and the other apostles before them, these guys are so uneducated. That's what they say about the apostles who are, who are literally converting people by the thousands in Jerusalem. Really? These guys? These uneducated people from backwater Israel, these are the guys that are causing us so much trouble? Uh, because I think we can understand, and even today we understand this, what the world considers to be foolishness. And it's, it, it changes with the times, I think. It changes from era to era. But some commonalities come into play. For a while in our country and, and in the developed world, things that were foolishness were things that were not empirical. If I could not empirically prove it through the senses then it was foolishness. Now it's sort of, if it's not woke, I don't know if you guys know what the word woke means, if it's not, uh, if it's not in accordance with our current uh, politically correct mindset, then it's foolishness. That's the things the world considers to be foolishness. If a thing does not align with what the people in charge think, and he says this as throughout this text, how many times does he talk about the rulers? The people in charge. That's how it tends to go, right? The people in charge are the ones who get to dictate what we should think of wise and what we should think is foolish. And it changes from regime to regime, but in each case, what does he keep saying? The rulers don't get it. They don't get what is wise according to God. And so let's think about that. What does God consider to be wise? For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us are, who are being saved is the power of God. Now, Paul, is, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are going to equate wisdom and power, I think, three or four times in this text. That the wisdom of God is determined, not just academically or intellectually, but because of the demonstration of the power. Because fundamentally, that's how it is, right? 
The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, those who do not have a relationship. with This is stupid. Why would I follow Christianity? But it's been demonstrated by the power of what? The resurrection, right? And, and the mir- we could save in the miracles throughout the New Testament, but mostly the resurrection, right? To us who are being saved, who have come to understand the power of the event, the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus... Anything else must be foolishness beside it. Because this is, the only, this is the only event like it in history. So even if it doesn't line up with the worldly wisdom, it must be wise because it has been demonstrated by the power of God. Even if it doesn't line up with what other people think. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Again, equating the idea of wisdom and power, right? That this is not something that we sort of argued our way into, that, uh, that Paul went into the different places of debate and sort of just sort of used wordplay to out, outplay the other debaters and, and demonstrated that, oh, you're obviously wrong. He sort of bypassed that altogether with the power of God, right? I was not with you in lofty speech or wisdom, but in the power of of God. I don't know if I have that text in here. Um, and because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Those are the things that are wise. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And all of those have the same idea that I need God, right? That without God, I am nothing. Bob's been talking about sanctification on Wednesday nights. The act that God does to sanctify us. It is not something that I do. It is something that that God does for me. Same with redemption, right? It is not something that I do. I do not redeem myself. That is something that God does for me. Righteousness. Not that I am determining righteousness, but that I have to submit to a different standard of righteousness. And in each of these cases, the wisdom of God is what? It's not who has the most money. It's not who's in charge. It's not who's the smartest. It's not who's figured the most stuff out. It's who relies on the Lord. That is what is wisdom. Do you rely on the Creator? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And and like the other way, we can go sort of look at the reverse. If we look at these things, we can see what God considers to be folly is what? It is foolish to elevate yourself. It is foolish to rely on yourself. It is foolish to rely on something other than the cross. It is foolishness to put anything else above that event, above that faith. It is foolishness to think that anything else matters more than that singular event, the cross. That is what is true folly when we put our faith in other things, maybe ourselves, maybe our family, maybe our school, maybe our jobs, when we put our faith in something other than the cross, that is foolishness. Now, why did God do this? I thought about this a lot this week. Could God have used the wisdom of the world in his plan? And I could not really come up with an answer. It's not really an answerable question. Uh, The idea, I have to imagine if God can do anything, maybe he could have come up with a different plan. 
Although the way everything in Scripture indicates that this was the plan that God had from the beginning, so it's sort of a moot point. But I think that even if God could have, I'm going to use the standards of the world to orchestrate my plan so that things will line up with the way the world thinks, I don't think he would have done so. Because as we see through this text, there is an intentional specific reason why God does not want you to rely on the world. He wants you to rely on him. Why did he do this? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Actually, let's just read these all because they have the same idea. So it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things and I've included this for a very specific reason, understand the things freely given us by God. Why did he do this thing? Why has he flipped the wisdom and folly of the world? Because fundamentally, God does not want you to rely on the world. He does not want you to have your set of standards be the same as the world. Don't think the way the world thinks. Don't prioritize the thing the world prioritizes. Don't think that what the world thinks is wise is wise. Don't agree with the world about what's stupid or foolish. You rely upon God, and that's it. Now, I, I like 2.12 specifically, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This is not something we took from God. This is not something we wrestled away from God. This is not something we sort of tricked God into. Oh, I'm so righteous now, you have to give me wisdom. Or, or uh, we have sort of maybe this slot, men, slot machine mentality of God that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug in the plan of salvation, boop, 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 in the, in the slot machine, and then now God has to dispense to me what I want. That's not what it is. The things freely given that you only know what wisdom and folly are. You only know what the true reality is because God has seen fit to give it to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't steal it. You didn't take it. He gave it. So the conclusion, let, no, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord so that no one might boast in the presence of God so that you may not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. If you are relying on anything more than you rely upon God, you are foolish. You're a fool. If you put anything at a higher priority than the cross, you are a fool. That's not my words. That's God's words, right? That's what he says specifically. That is foolish. Foolish thinking. It is foolishness. It's not how great you are. It's not how awesome you are. It's not how strong you are. The entire system that God set up is designed to do the same thing, to put us in a position of reliance upon him. Now, we're going to put this list back up there because all of these things, oops, all of these things come from that idea, don't they? Whoever loses his life will keep it, but whoever keeps his life will lose it. That is foolishness to the world. Why would I do that? Why would I give up the only life I have? This I only have 80 years. I'm going to spend it how I want. I'm going to do the things that I want to do, right? But that's, again, the foolishness of the world. The wisdom of God would say what? Forget this 80 years. This is 80 years. What is 80 years compared to eternity? Lose this life. Lose this life in service to something greater, and then you will find it. 
Strength is perfected in weakness. Again, the foolishness, that's a foolish idea. How, how am I strong through weakness? I want to be strong. When Paul, of course, that text we'll look at in a couple weeks, he wants God to take away this ailment that he has, this thing that he has, this thorn in the flesh, and God says, no, you need to be weak because that's what's going to make you rely on me. And if you're relying on me, well, man, my strength's way better. And, and again, the comparison of God to the world, the strongest that a person could ever be is still weaker than God, right? And the more I rely on myself, the less I'm using God's strength. I much rather would use God's strength, which even the smallest portion of God's strength is going to far outweigh any human strength that I could put together. The last will be first and the first last in Matthew 19. Again, the foolishness of forsaking this life, because that's the way that people think about Christians. You guys are so dumb. Uh, I'm acting as if I'm not a Christian, right? You guys are so dumb. You guys are wasting the life that you have in service to some eternal thing that you can't possibly know about. Maybe you're right, maybe you're not, but you need to live the way you want to live now. You need to live your life now. No, we know. We're confident of the power of God. We're confident of the wisdom of God. He who is humble will be exalted. All of these come from the same thing. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop relying on yourself. Stop relying on these earthly measures of wisdom, intellectualism, academia, uh, your job, the, the rulers and authorities. How many times in this text did he talk about the rulers and authorities who didn't, obviously didn't understand? If they had understood, they wouldn't have killed the Lord of glory. If they'd understood what God was doing, then they would have elevated Jesus. They would have exalted Jesus. Don't rely and don't submit to the idea that the world knows what is right because it doesn't. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, we'll end with this text. Hey, look at that. I'm getting done early. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. One of the things that I, I don't know, it might be the thing I actually hate the most. I think it is the thing I hate the most, is the uh, prosperity gospel. I think I hate that probably more than anything else on the planet. Because what it's doing this, right? The disgraceful, underhanded way. It's saying that if you want to have blessings from God, you need to submit yourself to the wisdom of the world. That if I, am, I'm, I want to elevate myself according to worldly standards, in this case wealth, that's a disgraceful, underhanded way of ministering the mercy of God. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This idea of just simply preaching, what did he say? I knew nothing with you except Christ and him crucified. And here's the deal, guys. If you tell them what the Bible says and the world does not accept it, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to change that. There's no fancy wisdom. There's no set of words that you could discover, this secret set of words that if I say them in the right order, it's going to trick people into believing about God. If you tell them what the Bible says, that's the best you can do because that's the wisest thing that's ever been written, right? You're not going to come up with a better thing than what's been written. You're not going to come up with a better truth. And so what does he say? Obviously not everybody accepts that, even if our gospel is veiled. That idea that it's, it's covered, that it's obscured. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we, uh, actually, let's pause there. What has he blinded them with? You need to be wealthy. You need to have, you need to be in authority. You need to elevate yourself. You need to do whatever it is that the current vote, the current in vogue trend is. However, the world currently thinks, cultural currently thinks, that's what you need to subscribe to. That's all the ways the world that the the, the God of this world blind. And to be clear, who's the God of this world? The devil, right? That's the way the devil blinds the world. Is he blinds them through this false wisdom? For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God has said, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, all we can accept as wisdom is what God has given us in this light of knowledge, right? What's the light of knowledge? It's the word, the word that's been given to us. That's the thing that is wise. Even though the world thinks it's foolish or stupid or dumb or ignorant, we've been warned, yeah, don't be surprised by that. Of course, they're going to think it's dumb. Don't be dissuaded because your worldly friends think that your faith is foolishness. You were warned ahead of time that that's what would happen. Simply proclaim the word. Simply allow yourself to be his servants. Don't proclaim yourself. And he says that, right? We proclaim is not ourselves, but simply Jesus Christ as Lord. That is wisdom. So maybe you're confused. And we're going to go through some of these contradictions in the next few weeks. But this is the crux of the matter, right? If you're trying to replace the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world, you're not going to understand, and, and at the end, we didn't get to it in the text, these things are spiritually discerned. The natural person cannot understand these things because they are spiritually discerned. If you're trying to replace God's wisdom with the wisdom of the world, of course you're going to misunderstand what's in the text. You're going to misunderstand the word given by the Spirit because it's a spiritually discerned thing. It's not something of the world, and it's not something that's going to line up with the world. And if you encounter resistance, you encounter uh, persecution and people calling you foolish and dumb, well, don't be surprised about that. That's kind of the way we should expect it to go, right? It's actually a little more surprising when people who have no relationship with God say, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that should be the more surprising thing because the world ultimately cannot accept the things of God. So the, this is not particularly evangelistic. The lesson and the invitation is if you're struggling with placing some of these things at a higher level than you should, let's talk about it. And maybe you don't understand the wisdom of God because there's stuff in there that's hard to understand. If you're struggling understanding some of the things that God has said, well, let's talk about that too. I love studying the Bible with people. Raise your hand if you like studying the Bible with people. These are the people that you could talk to, right? Uh, I should have had you right. leave, leave your hands up, but that's fine. Let's talk about it. Don't stay in ignorance. Don't remain foolish. Let's all come to an understanding of God's wisdom together. 